Hi, I'm Christopher Conover, host of The Buzz and a reporter here at Arizona Public Media. And this is a Buzz Extra. We've been spending the last two weeks on the show talking about uh, what we've called border by the numbers or border behind the numbers. So we thought we would let you all behind the scenes a little bit with uh, what it took to get this together and some things that, due to the changing nature of the border, didn't make it into the show. Joining me for this is uh, my partner in crime, if you will, for this series, Elisa Resnick, our border reporter here at AZPM. Elisa, thanks so much for agreeing to sit down with us uh, while we're still finishing up the show <laughs> at this point. A couple of things left. That's uh, true. But you know, this is a show that you and I dreamt up uh, in a Zoom conversation mm -hmm. this summer, and we've been really working on it all summer long. Yeah, I mean, I think it was one of those uh, projects that kind of got put in the back burner a little bit because obviously um, daily news is uh, is pretty busy. You know, we've had especially with COVID. Exactly, we've had the pandemic. We've had um, we've had. A, a new president come through and it's just been a lot of different changes here in Arizona and nationally. Um, obviously the border has also been in national focus so certainly it is uh, you know part of our coverage but it, it's yeah it's been a little bit of a longer running project but part of this that we uh, kind of looked at is you know there is a huge depth of data that's available already on Customs and Border Protection's website that can be data about anything from um, the uh, type of, of arrests that are being made, the type of apprehensions that are being made, the um, the people that are coming to the border, whether it's families, single adults, children, um, and also how that looks um, from sector to sector. So I think at least as it relates to you, that was kind of something that piqued your interest, right? I mean, in terms of, um, you know, what was available and sort of this, you know, what ends up kind of being a little bit of a rabbit hole of a website in terms of data. So it, now that you've done that, is there anything kind of that sticks out to you? It really was a rabbit hole uh, of data, as you said. The Customs and Border Protection has a lot of data on their website. Uh, as you said, everything from the number of apprehensions made U.S.-Mexico border-wide every month, every year, and it's broken down by sector. It's broken down by types uh, of people uh, they are picking up, be it single adults, families, unaccompanied children. They even break it down by nationality. And I think one of the things that really struck me on the apprehension data was the difference between each of the sectors. Tucson sector, as we talked about in last week's show, really has a lot of single adults. And we'll talk about it again in this week's show with regards to rescues and things like that. Whereas Yuma Sector, where you and I went and visited uh, in our reporting for the show, has many more families. The sectors are so different. And it even varies for the nationalities of people coming across. And that changed even month to month, where one sector would see a lot of people from Honduras, while another sector was seeing a lot of people from Mexico, and another sector was seeing a lot of people from Guatemala, all in the same month. So I think that was really something that struck me, how different every sector is. You can't talk about 
the U.S.-Mexico border as this single block entity. It varies from sector to sector. Um, as as our viewers on this and our, our listeners will hear, you and I uh, took a helicopter flight this week with Border Patrol. And even within the Tucson sector, the terrain is different. Everything yeah. on this, the the east side of the Babakivari Mountains, mm. very, very lush right now because of all the rain, very, very green. But once we got over into the cells area, it was much more like the desert we were used to looking to, less green. So I think that for me, from the data standpoint, the big takeaway was every sector is different and it's not a big block. And you have to look at individual sectors to really understand what's going on along the U.S.-Mexico border. And that really, really struck me yeah. as we delved into it. Um, one of the things that was difficult for us during this was the changing nature of this story. Mm. It seemed like every day something happened at the national level we had to account for within our reporting just this week we had a u.s supreme court ruling that deals with asylum seekers there have been deadlines that have changed and come and gone regarding asylum seekers and elisa that was something you really spent a lot of time reporting on and trying to figure out how to get in the show and keep the show timely without missing our deadlines <laughs> sure yeah, you're right. That law, uh, the Supreme Court decision this week, um, having to do with the migrant protection protocols, or you know, better known as Remain in Mexico, is going to be huge for people who are trying to move through this process right now at the border to to claim asylum. Um, essentially, it means again that uh, the that controversial Trump era program that uh, already forced tens of thousands of people to stay in Mexico awaiting their asylum hearings is is back um you know the administration has to start doing that again at the border according to the ruling so um you know i think one thing that really struck me i uh is just that um it just adds to what is already this incredibly long wait that um asylum seekers are facing right now um you know this uh in addition to the migrant protection protocols my reporting for the last year easily has been almost every single week, at least about Title 42, which is, again, the pandemic era protocol that um, uh, due to, uh, well, it's a public health protocol that um, enables Border Patrol agents to um, quickly turn back um, migrants from uh, Mexico and Central America back across the border of Mexico with very little processing. So rather than being taken into detention or being processed in some other way or often, you know, being processed for asylum, most, especially single adults, are turned back across the border in a couple of hours. Um, and so already people um, have, you know, the way that people are waiting at the border has changed. Um, a lot of, um, you know, rights advocates will say that this policy makes it really hard for people to claim asylum, especially people who are who are single adults. Um, you know, there were some mechanisms in place for for people who were deemed, you know, especially in need of these uh, of of coming to the United States and being processed in this way to get uh, to get that pathway. Um, so that was through an exemption program. But again, that's actually it, it ended on July 31st. So anybody who registered afterwards is um, 
you know, is kind of not able to be a part of that program. And MPP, or I guess the reemergence of MPP, is really just going to uh, add a second layer of, of um, uncertainty for, for folks who are doing this process now. Giving folks a little bit of a preview of the next show, the show that airs tomorrow. Don't forget to tune in, NPR 89.1 at 8.30 tomorrow morning or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, one of the things we talk about is uh, assaults on agents um, by migrants, but also use of force. And certainly in the news around the country, use of force within the law enforcement community has been such a focus since George Floyd and so many other cases that people are familiar with. And one of the things that we talked with Border Patrol about was body cameras. They're coming to Border Patrol now. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Um, you know, we don't know exactly when Border Patrol agents here in Arizona will get um, these body cameras, but that is, um, yeah, that is coming to the agency. Um, they're going to start rolling them out in different sectors. And again, we don't know exactly when that's going to happen in Arizona, but it's certainly pointing towards, uh, you know, what the future of these incidents might look like. I mean, we've already had a lot of these discussions in other, you know, law enforcement um, arenas around body cameras and around um, accountability, police accountability and um, the use of force. I guess as someone who covers, you know, the military a lot here, we've covered that for a long time and and law enforcement. Um, how do you think, you know, Border Patrol, age, the Border Patrol, and you know, U.S. Customs and Border Protection is one of the largest, if not the largest law enforcement um, agency in the country, um, you know, but they're right along the border but also still here in the United States. They're not quite military, but they are, you know, a different entity of law enforcement. Where do you see that agency fitting? I mean, given other other entities that you've covered. Well, like you said, Border Patrol, Customs and Border Protection, and all the agents within the multiple agencies that fall under Customs and Border Protection is probably one of the largest law enforcement agencies overall in the country. And at the end of the day, what struck me is it's very similar to, for the agents, at least the agents that I've met over the years and in the reporting for these two shows, it's similar to other law enforcement agencies. Uh, when you talk to the agents, the way they view their jobs, the way they do their jobs, uh, of course, they all have opinions about varying policy, as everybody does. Um, but they also don't tend to talk about it a lot, not the agents at least. Uh, they leave that to the higher-ups, and they stay out. One of the things that struck me uh, that I hadn't really thought about was their tracking of migrants coming across the desert. I'd never thought about some of the difficulties on that. Um, when we were up in the helicopter, they were looking for a group of people. And I thought, well, this should be fairly easy to find from the air. And I found it was hard to find the agents on the ground, uh, let alone other people. Um, they also, it seems, are similar to state troopers in the sense of very often they are out in more rural areas, uh, at least in the Tucson sector. Uh, the San Diego sector is much more urban because it includes San Diego, mm. which is a border town or border city. Um, 
so there sometimes they have to wait a long time for backup. Um, there aren't big groups of agents, you know, or police officers. Tucson police, you know, there are lots of them in, you know, out on the street in Tucson at any given time. There are fewer border patrol agents next to each other. They're not as tightly clustered, which I found interesting also. And it seems like the problems that Border Patrol has is reflective of law enforcement all over the country. We get into use of force this week and complaints against Border Patrol agents and use of force. And as we said, we've heard this in law enforcement agencies. We've heard it in city of Tucson, Tucson police officers within the last 12 months. Obviously, all over the country, we've heard about it. So in many ways, even though they are such a large agency, a lot of the the issues they have, positive and negative, um, seem reflective of, of law enforcement everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, as we wrap this up, I, I want to come back to you to talk about oversight. Congress is working its way through a budget process. Um, it's political, it's tied up, it's slow, it's fast, it's slow, it's fast. But there is money for oversight and in reconciliation, correct? That's certainly what um, rights advocates here in, in Arizona, border towns, want to see happen in terms of, um, yeah, some of that over, some of that money that will be directed to CBP going directly towards things like the Office of Inspector General or the Office of Professional Re- Responsibility. Those are two kind of watchdog um, agencies that are supposed to oversee how federal agencies um, conduct operations on the day to day. They're also the the folks that would respond to complaints um, that are filed by by people who. Um, yeah, who had a, a use of force incident, or um, you know, or a any any sort of negative encounter with, you know, with with a federal agent like a border patrol agent could be subject to um, to a complaint filing system like this. And I spoke with for this story anyway. Spoke with um, you know a couple of people whose whose role it is to kind of help migrants, you know, in in border towns here in Arizona, file those complaints and kind of move through that process. And it it's a long one. It's a bureaucratic one. And um, but, you know, I think that when I speaking with them, one one thing that that stuck out is that they feel like they have seen some positive changes. They are getting responses back from saying, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to investigate this number, this this many out of the total number that you've sent. And um you know, these complaints can range from anything from excessive use of force to problems with due process or, or migrants not getting their property back when they're expelled or expelled through Title 42 or, um, you know, deported. And uh, so, you know, I think that they are they see this as a positive sign that, like, they are at least getting answers back, but there's still a long road ahead. And one thing they really would like to see from congressional leaders here in Arizona, congressional representatives here in Arizona, is is that backing, you know, to make sure that um, the money for CBP, at least some of it goes to some of these these oversight efforts, because, um, you know, the the process of, of filing a complaint, um, it's not easy. And I spoke with one um, one migrant who she did do it, you know, and she did it. You know, I think as uh, other advocates said, like a lot she did it, a lot of people do it to help other migrants so that they don't get in this situation. But you know, it's it's a process that could take years. And so people just 
pro- you know, they don't have that time to wait, and they also are are nervous of, you know, being put into a system that they aren't sure uh, how how that's going to be recorded or whether their names will be used. So there's a lot of questions, but I think that you know, one thing activists who are trying to help and and migrants themselves probably would like to see is just, you know, um, those funds being directed to that effort. All right. Well, we should probably leave this discussion there. We both still have work to do to put a bow on the end Mm -hmm. of uh, the show uh, for this week that airs tomorrow. So I just want to remind everybody again, please uh, tune in tomorrow morning at 8.30 on NPR 89.1 for part two on the buzz of our border reporting. And you can always find us uh, wherever you get your podcasts or, of course, our website, news.azpm.org, to find all of our archives. Thanks for tuning in to this, and uh, we'll be on the radio tomorrow morning. Thanks. All right, 17 minutes. That'll work. (laughs) Thank you, Alicia.